Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Laurent, the CTO at Talend, and we discuss using a customer advisory board to test out new products, mentoring your direct reports with objectives and key results, and the three steps to think about when innovating on new products. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Like, I think companies are always in a state of kind of going out of business. Even if you're in a startup and you're growing really fast and the market's great, like you always have something that could come along and knock you out. There could always be a change in technology that could happen. You always have to be on your feet. You always have to be innovative. Yeah. Yep. And um, I mean, from a talent perspective, we've been surfing innovation for uh, forever. I mean, since the inception, it was all about disrupting the uh, data integration and the uh, integrity or governance market. And uh, so... First company we disrupted at the time was Informatica uh, through different uh, models. I mean, business model, uh, code generation, um, uh, being able to uh, make uh, integration uh, much easier than uh, it was at the time. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on innovation. And, and then we, we surf a wave of innovation uh, one after the other. When big data came in uh, like six, six years ago, uh, we jumped on that uh, on that wave of innovation. Uh, we were the first company to bring a Spark code generation as part of our data integration solution. So it was all about uh, uh, speed and performance and so on and so forth. Then we later on we jumped on the uh, uh, cloud uh, transformation. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, innovation is at the core of everything we do. And if you want to survive in in the business, you really have to be uh, uh, innovative, technology-wise or. Uh, how you address uh, business problems, your business model, even your, your, your licensing. I mean, you have to find new ways uh, to serve the business. Absolutely. You know, and I'm curious because two or three days ago, I got a, a call from a, a friend who is doing some like research and he was asking me about, he said, we know a lot of the companies, they move to the cloud. And we've been, you know, demystifying in a couple episodes, we've been demystifying like what the cloud is and stuff like that. But he asked me, are there any examples of companies that are like going to the cloud, but then they've come back? Yeah, I don't think that you come back uh, uh, from the cloud. I mean, what we see happening in our business is you have companies that have different pace of adoption. So um, when you think about talent, the, uh, the, the first years of, of, of talent, of course, it was an on-premise business. The cloud was not there at the time. And we jumped on that wagon. And if you look at our customer install base, not everybody is adopting innovation and cloud technology at the same pace. But as soon as they do, uh, you don't have a lot of companies that go back. What you end up uh, seeing is some systems will stay on-premise uh, until they adopt uh, uh, new technologies to solve that specific problem that those systems were solving. Uh, but you live in an hybrid world. I don't think companies will uh, uh, move back from cloud to on-premise. What you're going to end up uh, uh, seeing is a, a different pace of, uh, of adoption of the cloud technology. And for things that remain on-premise, uh, you need to be able to provide solutions that work in an hybrid uh, uh, model. I, I agree. And you know, when he called me, I said, because you know, he was doing like paid research, right? And uh, I said, I don't think that really happens. <laughs> like companies, I was, I was talking with them. I just said, I don't really think that happens a whole lot or I haven't heard of it happening a whole lot. But um, 
I'll, I'll ask around for you. And I said, why? Like, who are you doing research? He's like, well, we can't say the client, but they're like a huge company and you would know their name. And I said, well, like, why are they having you do the research? He goes, well, they make on-prem materials like machines or whatever it is. They make on-prem mm -hmm. equipment. And he goes, their companies are saying, or their customers are saying, we want to move to the cloud. And they want like their help and they want to figure out like, is this a market of us taking them to the cloud? Should we do consulting and take them to the cloud or should we just advise? Like, how are we going to get them to the cloud and like still have a business? And I was, I was like, they're just going to have to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every company has to adapt. And when we say cloud, you know, it could be a public cloud. So the public cloud would be uh, the Amazon, Google, Microsoft of the world. And if a company does a, a hardware, they can always uh, uh, have their data center and still provide that, uh, that technology uh, uh, to the cloud and uh, in an Austin manner. So ultimately, everybody is going to consume services uh, from the cloud, either public cloud, private cloud, or a, a mixed model. I'm curious when you like if I don't work with like a lot of enterprises on this cloud stuff or the transition or, or whatnot, but I want you to help me like paint a visual in my head. So when they because I do have, you know, like 17 years of engineering experience, like mm -hmm. writing code, building apps, software, the process for deploying when it's on prem is that what is that like? Because I'm so used to just like using Heroku or just spinning up a server with Amazon and then just deploying my app through like Circle CI or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, is it a different like process, a skill set to when you have on-prem technology than like all these cloud services I'm used to? I mean, I think when you look at the, the, the deployment services, when you deploy uh, in the cloud, you would, uh, let's say, public cloud, right? You will use some of those... Uh, uh, CI, CD uh, deployment services. In our world of, of data apps, uh, those would be uh, uh, more I mean, specific versus the, uh, the app world, but you're using the, 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 the cloud uh, public provider services. When you uh, deploy an application uh, on-premise, I mean, you might end up with a, a bunch of uh, executable uh, on, on Windows or uh, some libraries and, and the same executable you have to deploy on, on Linux boxes. Uh, but those are the old days. So uh, uh, you're not using the same type of, uh, of, of uh, services that uh, cloud providers offer. What you can still do, I mean, when you, are, when you live in the uh, on-premise world, it depends where in what, uh, at what level of the stack that you are. If you're working with a, a Redshift type of stack, you can also use specific uh, CI, CD commands and so on, but they will be specific to that technology stack. But deploying on-premise, it just means that uh, you're not using those uh, uh, public cloud services. Got it. And I, and I also always forget that there's like all different types of like technology and applications. Like we use the word application, but we use that for like a SaaS app that we're building in the cloud. But that same word is used for, let's say like if you're a restaurant and you have like a point of sale and you have like an operating system and you have like some application actually running on the operating system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, a query uh, or a, a widget with some uh, analytical information could be called an application as well. A data pipeline. Uh, on, a, on a Spark cluster could be called a, a, an application as well. So application means a lot of things uh, depending on, on where you, you are on the, on the stack uh, of technology that you deal with, absolutely. So I, I want to talk with you a little bit about like just a general open conversation about like roles and titles, mm -hmm. right? Because I get questions about 
this a lot. I get questions about like, what does it mean to be a CTO or a CIO or a COO? And I noticed you have you have two titles, mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm curious to how how you think about like what's the what's like the purpose of of roles or titles. The purpose, I mean, it's to try to describe what you do on a daily basis. I mean, people like boxes. Uh, when you say something, I mean, right away, they want to know, okay, he's a CTO, so he must work on, on technology. Now, I think it depends. Uh, are you a CTO, a CTO in, a, uh, in a software company? Are you a CTO in a manufacturing company? Are you CTO in a, a banking industry? So those roles could be different depending on where you are. In my case, I'm, I'm CTO in a, in a software company. So as part of my role, I, I, um, I manage uh, uh, R&D. I manage uh, uh, product uh, definition requirements. So uh, that's the product management part of it. I, I build the, the, the product. So that's the R&D uh, part of, uh, of, of my hat. And then I, I support the product that's been deployed uh, on the cloud. That's SRE or uh, the deployment uh, part of the job. So I think that... People like uh, titles because they mean something uh, uh, behind and they can put you in a box and uh, um, I mean, like quickly get an idea of, uh, of, of what you're responsible for. But that the title, a specific title can mean different things um, uh, based on the industry that you're in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do. I, was, I guess I was, I'm also trying to think like, I often get that question from, I guess, less experienced people too, because I find that people who have more senior positions or more work experience at the executive level, they understand that like we're a group of people, we're a team, and we have different responsibilities, and we we sort of figure out what the customer needs, what the company needs, what the market needs, and then we allocate those responsibilities, figure out how they associate to revenue or, and bringing value, and then we we own them and have metrics around them. And then we, we, we try to, we just kind of like put a title around that for the mm -hmm. outside world. So like when the outside world comes and say, Hey, like, where's the person that handles all the money? They're like, Oh, I'm going to go to the CFO. Right. Or where's the, where's the coach of the executive team? I'm going to go to the CEO. Right. And, and they, they kind of use to, to help the world figure out like a good starting point. Yeah. And then depending on who you have under your team, I mean, if I look at my case, I mean, CTO, you could have CTO that are just focusing on the future and they are much more like researchy type of CTO with a smaller team that will look at uh, N plus two uh, wave of innovation. You can have CTO that uh, do that, but also they live in the today's world and, and they, uh, um, they develop products and so on. And I'm more uh, the, the, the latter. I've never heard that before and I love it. N plus two wave of innovation. <laughs> That is good. That is good. So how do you separate, like, because you have CTO and COO, like in your, in your calendar, in your planning of your responsibilities, do you have certain ones that you consider to be COO responsibilities and certain ones you consider CTO responsibilities? Um, so everything that's CTO responsibility for me in my world, it's uh, everything that relates to product. So it's the, the definition of the product, like understanding the market, understanding what the customers are looking for building and, and defining the future of our market. So that's the definition of the product, uh, the R&D, which is the actual uh, development of the product. And then there's the, the, the production support. So that part is really my CTO world. It's everything that relates to a product. Uh, if I look at my COO at, uh, it's much more what I do around the uh, IT. I, I, uh, 
I'm also responsible. I have a VP of uh, IT with me. And uh, here it's everything uh, IT, like the applications uh, inside the company that we run the company on. It's the infrastructure, it's the data center and all of that. So that's more my CEO uh, at. And as part of my CEO ads, I'm also uh, looking at uh, analytics. I'm looking at uh, some processes as well uh, uh, for the company, um, like transversal programs to uh, to transform the, the business and so on. So that's more the, the, the CEO ad. Yeah, so that's how I separate the two. Now they are very uh, complementary with, uh, with one another. And um, uh, if I look at how I manage the team every week, I spend time with uh, um, everybody and, and uh, I like everyone, everybody to understand what others are doing and, and forces them to put themselves in, uh, uh, in everybody's shoes. I'm, cu- I'm curious, you said, like you mentioned researching a market or defining a market, like what goes into that? Like how, how, do, you, how do you approach that? So, I mean, when you think about new, uh, new wave of products, right, you, uh, you're going to look at uh, technology trends. What are the, the next technology trends in your space? That's one source of information that you're going to look at. When you define new products, you're going to look at what analysts uh, are saying. So here, for example, we are very close to uh, Gartner, Forrester, IDC. So all of those uh, groups have a a bunch of analysts that we are working with, and they are also looking at the market and and where things go. And uh, I would say the third source of of, uh, inspiration uh, is, of course, customers. So we look at uh, what are the new problems that customers are facing today, and then we look at uh, those, those three uh, buckets all together and we see, okay, how can uh, talent uh, um, address uh, those problems or those trends? Or how can we make the best of the new technology to uh, solve uh, our, our customer problems and also build uh, products that uh, customers didn't even know that they needed? I like that. Okay, so the analysts, and I'm always learning, by the way. Like I'm just, and I, I, I like to be transparent about my learning too. Uh, just because I found that if if I am transparent about it, the people they sort of take me under their wing and they they explain stuff to me in a simple way, and then that makes me smarter faster. But I've always seen like the Gartners, and I know they do the research, and I know they do the magic quadrant, and I and I've mm-hmm. I've seen all the analysis. But you're you're using this analysis to actually figure out what products and services to to look into more to offering. So uh, we, 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 we work with them in, in different ways. We work with them whenever, I mean, to your point about Magic Quadrant, uh, that's, that helps position the company into a box or into a quadrant or into a way. Uh, so we work with them in that way. We, there's a, um, an education uh, part of us telling analysts what we do, uh, how they, they need to look at us and so on. Now when you, um, so that's true for the, the, the quadrants or the waves that we are into. But then when you uh, look at those groups, those big groups of, of analysts, they are working on, on many different topics. And, uh, um, and here it also, it's also important for us to see whether or not we can tap into adjacent markets. And, and then um, uh, we learn what others are doing and uh, how they see market evolves. And when you think about uh, uh, analysts, uh, of course, they are looking at the current product uh, that many companies offer. But they also have a, um, forward-looking statements about what the data world will look like in 2025, uh, for example. And that really helps us validate some of the assumptions that we might have. And they're, they're getting that because they're connected with all of these companies. So they can figure out, like, like for us, we have such a large 
listenership and subscribers that when I put out, oh, hey, what's going on in your world? And we get 50,000, 70,000, like, you know, people responding, it comes down to like three or four things. And we're talking globally because everyone's in this technology industry and it's like, we're all so different, but we're all experiencing such similar things. So I guess they're kind of having that effect too. They're analyzing and, and strategizing with all of these businesses and they can, they're sort of the pulse and they know what's going on in the markets. And so if you, if you take that perspective and then start looking at their research, you can actually make business decisions on it. Absolutely. I mean, one of their key role is they, uh, they aggregate a lot of information. So they talk with different vendors, uh, but they also talk, and that's, that's where the, it's, it's the most important, with customers uh, across many, many different industries. So they have that role of aggregation, and, and, and then they deliver things that we can uh, consume as a, as a source of inspiration. So they'll break down like the market that's trending and then like the different solutions inside of that market and then what's going on with them and why they exist. And so uh, when you when you start an, engaging with the executive team and like maybe like the chief of sales, right? Because if you're doing product, you, you'd have to engage with them somehow, I'm assuming. Uh, and you start looking at, okay, we're going to, we're going to test this product. You, you start talking to your existing customers. Like at what point do you like, test value propositions and figure out if the thing has legs, if it's, if it's going to work? Well, it depends on what cycles we are in the product, right? Uh, and it depends if, uh, whether it's uh, an increment uh, on an existing product or it's a, it's a brand new thing that we want to go after a, a brand new adjacent market or we want to deliver a, a new application. If it's a new application, I mean, we're going to spend time with, with our customers. We have what we call a customer advisory board. So uh, we spend time with a few of our core uh, customers and uh, we're going to ask them, okay, we, we are thinking about launching that. Uh, what, what do you think? Is it something that you would see a value in? Do you think uh, uh, it can change the game for you and uh, uh, something that you'll be willing to, uh, to pay for? Then we'll, uh, uh, we'll go into more of an incubation phase. Uh, we're going to iterate on that, uh, on that new product. But of course, I mean, uh, throughout the cycle, we will always get engaged with uh, uh, both the, uh, the, the marketing team and uh, the, the sales team because it's, it's really important to have a, a go-to-market strategy uh, to ensure that we have adoption uh, of, of those new products. And uh, I've seen so many technologies in my life um, that were uh, decorrelated with a, a go-to-market and that failed uh, miserably. So technology for the sake of technology, uh, it's, it's a hard sell down the road. But when you have the, the right balance between the technology, the go-to-market, uh, uh, some early customer validation, then that's, that's where you can really uh, have, have great successes. The interesting thing is they're all dependent upon the organization being like socially connected to the industry, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's key. I mean, either socially connected through technology. I mean, we talk a lot to IT people or I'm talking a lot to the, the other CTOs and so on. But vice versa, vice versa the, the CMOs will talk to the CMOs, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, CIOs will talk to the CIOs. And, and, and that's where uh, you get all the input. So absolutely, I mean, that's, that's the uh, social uh, uh, connection that makes the difference there. I love it. And this has been such a journey for me going from like, engineer introverted engineer to to learning all all of this stuff and how the business side of everything works i'm curious talent is is there like a story behind the name 
I, I was not part of the founding team of Talon. I've been, I've been with the company five and a half years. So uh, uh, there are different stories and myths. At some point, I mean, we were uh, uh, in the uh, ETL business and um, uh, they wanted to make sure that they can find uh, a name that uh, had the three letters in it. So then they were a talented bunch of people. So they started with, uh, with talent and then they changed the T at the end with a D for data. So uh, it was, they wanted to have the, the D for data and they wanted to have the, the ETL letter uh, in the name and, and show that it was a talented bunch of, uh, of people. But uh, there are different stories flying around. <laughs> well, that that's clever. And it, uh, to for for like my instant when I saw it, I thought you were technical recruiting. Like okay. right when I saw talent, because it's like it, it makes me think of like talent and data and technology. And I was like, oh, it's probably like they probably recruit technology people. And that's something you technically kind of do. I mean, recruit great technologists to come work for you guys, right? Absolutely, yeah. So what's the culture like there? Uh, the culture, and I'm sure that you've heard that so many times from so many different companies, but it's very unique culture. So uh, we were born in France, but very quickly, um, there's a, a, a bunch of people that uh, moved to the US in the, in the Silicon Valley. And um, the, the French culture is still very present uh, uh, inside, uh, inside talent. We were able, we, we have a, a, a dual culture. I mean, we are a global company. We are uh, present in, uh, in, in many, many different countries. There's a lot of humility uh, in, the, in the company. I mean, sometimes people picture uh, French as being arrogant and so on. But uh, when it comes to technology, um, uh, you know, most of the time, uh, French people are, are fairly humble. So there's a lot of uh, humility, a lot of, um, there's a culture of uh, uh, helping each other culture of um, having a, a lot of fun but uh, uh, still being serious um, and uh, and then with the with the US and because we went quickly uh, uh, international we had a lot of growth coming from the US so all that business sense all the um, you know let's make sure that we uh, um, we are uh, addressing the needs of our customer and it's all about the customers uh, that's that that's something that we learn a lot from the from the US culture uh, but we have offices uh, everywhere in the world so it's very global uh, unique culture of a uh, 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 humility and, and we try to push uh, uh, diversity a lot as well uh, inside the company. Now, I will say, like, companies definitely have unique cultures. It's almost like culture and uniqueness is, is combined to one. Because I go around and I get to, to sometimes visit these places. I was actually supposed to be out in California last week, but I get to go visit and w walk through their offices and, and hang out and talk to their people. And, you know, sometimes we do talks and we do different things. And I, I've been, you know, 100 plus companies probably in the past two years, and they are like very different. Mm -hmm. And it's it they're they're similar, you know, traits, but they all are 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 pretty unique, and and mostly in like a really good way. And so I like to uh, it's like trying different foods from different countries. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, like absolutely. they can be different and good, you know? Yeah. And actually, I mean, when you think about our, our recruitment process, uh, the culture is something we validate for every hire that we make. Is it, it, will there be a fit uh, uh, from a cultural standpoint? So when you recruit in engineering, of course, you have the, uh, the code testing and uh, you're, you're going to have uh, uh, algorithm talks and architecture talks and so on. But we're going to validate the culture. How easy is it going to be to uh, bring that person on board? Uh, will that person fit culturally? I mean, those are very, very important points for us. Do you do that in like a, like I've seen a lot of softwares and things out there that like will analyze the person, 
before they join. How do you guys do that? Do you just rely on the people or do you have a, like a methodology? No, we don't have a, a methodology per se. I mean, we have a, a bunch of questions that, uh, that we ask, of course, but then it's a, it's a feeling. So what we make sure of is whenever we have interviewers, they represent talent culture. Uh, and that uh, they can validate and they get a, a feeling. So it's really a soft skills and, and something where, you know, emotional intelligence is really highly valued uh, for us. So that's something that uh, they're going to validate. It's not a method. There's no tools. There's no application uh, uh, to validate any of that. So there's a lot of a uh, gut feel and, and emotional intelligence for, uh, from the interviewers. Yeah. And I've always kind of like questioned the, I've never used them like I've never used them in my company or anything about like the, the psychological profiling of people and teams. Um, Cause it felt a little bit too cold for me, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I know that even in a company, the teams have their own culture, I guess. Like you can boil culture down. They have their own relationships and that, that each team is unique. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a person working with those teams, they really have to like, actually just engage with those teams that they're going to be near or on. And I found that that seems to be the most effective way is just engaging with the people on the teams that have the highest level of, you know, emotional intelligence that like doing that type of thing and then just letting them decide. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's true when we recruit, it's true when we uh, open a a new center. Uh, It happened to us a a couple of times already. So when you start from scratch in a new uh, uh, R&D center, you want to make sure that the culture you're building in that center is going to be very similar. It can have its uniqueness uh, because to your point, every team is could be unique, but you want to make sure there's continuity from uh, from one uh, team in one country uh, uh, to another. That's something that we really pay close attention to. Yeah, and the the French theme is cool because you guys have like awesome food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a stereotype. <laughs> is it? You guys don't have good. If you go to no. France, there's not good food. No, yeah, there's good food, but you can find good food pretty much everywhere in the world. You have to know where to uh, where to, where to look. <laughs> that is true. If you go and you find the locals, you can find the good food. Yeah, yeah. But that's like the that's like a pretty good stereotype to have. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's better than the French sometimes being perceived that uh, as as uh, know it all or arrogant, right? Which is uh, which is not the case. We'd rather. Now we'll yeah, stick yeah. with the good food. Good, good yeah. food and great culture. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, and nice relaxing meals and and uh, friends. They seem very friendly and social, and it's like I mean. I've been to so many different countries and people it's, it's like every place has good people. Yeah, you just absolutely. have to go, you have to find the good people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you totally. So how, how do you, I mean, it's a pretty large company. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you grow your direct reports or how do you coach them? Like how, how do you, yeah. How do you grow them? Yeah. So talent today is about what, 1300 people. And uh, yeah, it starts to be a, a, a fairly, I mean, mid-sized uh, company in the, in, in the software industry. When you look at your direct report, what's really important is to make sure that they know what you expect uh, out of them. And uh, so be clear on uh, um, key objectives, uh, key results that you want them to drive. 
and and you give them some guidance. Uh, you give them some guidance. You can share uh, your experiences. I think sharing experiences is the best thing you can do uh, with them. And you give them some room to uh, uh, to thrive on their own and uh, sometimes do their own mistakes. And uh, but you are not far off. And uh, like you you meet on a on a regular basis and and you check in and you make sure that uh, everything is, is is going fine. And uh, yeah, so it's it's all about mentoring, coaching. Uh, while being clear on the expectations uh, and, and giving them guidance and, and regular uh, checkpoints. When you're hiring like direct reports or bringing them on, promoting them up, do you spend, like I, I found that some people, and I don't think there's a wrong or right answer. I'm just, I'm just polling and asking different people. Do you tend to hire them like quicker or do you tend to spend more time with them before you hire them? Like how do you approach bringing someone on? Uh, it depends on the profile um, and, and the seniority of the person you recruit. Um, if you are looking for a, a developer, I think that uh, having uh, like three, four, five interviews, that's the maximum that you can ask for this kind of role, especially when you are validating technical uh, skills and, and, and code capacity, these kind of, of things. When you are uh, hiring people that are higher up uh, in the organization that will have more uh, management skills, uh, you might go uh, and, and ask for, uh, um, I mean, more interviewers in the in the uh, uh, in the hiring process because you want to make sure that you uh, you validate the person through different angles. Um, so it's not just you uh, uh, doing the recruitment; is uh, making sure that they have a chance to talk with their future peers, making sure that they have a chance to work with uh, um, some other people they will interface with in their day-to-day operation. So here, um, uh, depending on the seniority, uh, the higher you go, you might have uh, uh, more uh, interviewers. Uh, but you don't want the process to be too long either, because people will lose patience. And uh, there's a point where you have to make a decision. You know, is it a person? Is the person a good fit or a bad fit? Can you? Uh, yeah, you have to make a decision. So I would say overall, like uh, going beyond six, six or seven. Uh, interviews for a, a hire, uh, uh, that's, that's the max I would go, uh, go for. And um, if you had a chance to work with the person before, then you're going to limit that number of, uh, of, of, of uh, interviewers. You know, I never realized how, like I'd read, I like, I like one of my favorite things in life is I'll read books and I'll be like, okay, that makes sense. Good strategy. Or, you know, I'll just let it go. And, and then five years later, I'll have enough experience to be like, Oh, that's what that really means. And one of those that's happened to me, I guess, in the past couple years, is I, I always heard, you know, uh, it's good. You have to have a good reputation when you're working with people because, in the long term, those people will be out there in the market, and you'll know them, and you'll come across them again, or be able to work with them again. You'll have a, I guess, like a network or, or uh, you know, past peers that you could call on for specialties. And then as I got into you know, starting this business, it was amazing because I was like, oh yeah, I need, you know, Yuri from that project. I need this person from that project. I need that. I could pull all these people together and like we can, or, or, you know, three of them, we've already worked on our project together and now they all just kind of doing, you know, jobs that they're just like, oh, okay. And we could all come together again. And in those, that those teams and, and knowing that you can bring someone on that you've already worked with before and that, you know, they can execute that is incredibly valuable. So like now when I'm looking for executives to grow the company, I'm like, where's the executive that's been doing this for 20 years and knows like their entire all-star team? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just happened to me, I, 
I hired uh, earlier this year a, a chief information security officer, and uh, I worked with her before, uh, not in my previous company, in the company uh, uh, before that. And uh, it was easy. I, I knew her. I knew uh, what she was capable of. And uh, and here it was not. I mean, the interview was not a proper interview. I mean, between the two of us, it was more like me telling her about talent, why she should join, and so on. So it was more of a me selling talent to her and uh, that, you know, it could be a, a great career opportunity for her. And then uh, uh, you lined up a um, um, handful of people to do a proper interview in that case, because it's not just about bringing the people in without cutting uh, all the lines, right? You still need some validation from uh, from third party. But I'm totally with you. I mean, if you can bring some of your uh, previous, uh, uh, so some people from your your network, it's always better. And that's what we tell uh, employees as well. And that's why we have referral uh, bonuses in place. It's faster to hire from, uh, from your existing network because you know the people and uh, often they're good. Oh, nice. So you can, like, if you work at Talon and you refer a friend, that's, that's good. You get a referral bonus? Yeah, uh, it depends who. Uh, executives, <laughs> VP, I think directors, you can't. But everybody uh, uh, that don't have this kind of, uh, of title, yes, they absolutely uh, can get referral bonuses. Oh, that is really cool. You just, you basically supercharged your workforce to be a recruiter. Yeah, absolutely. That's the idea. <laughs> and we, we are not unique uh, there. I, I think a lot of companies are doing that. They they are. Like, I don't hear it a lot. I guess I don't ask about it a lot. But I know that um, a couple companies have had some pretty cool culture items where they have like hashtag always be recruiting or mm-hmm. they'll, they, they make it part of their culture where they'll have like a day where they'll bring in you know, bring in people that you know, and we'll have like an event or a meetup and they, they're proactive about it. And I always find that like really interesting. And I like it because it seems to me that the best companies do that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at our LinkedIn, uh, our employees that are on LinkedIn, uh, every day you'll see a referral for jobs and everybody's a recruiter. I mean, that's part of the success of the company. If we, if we have those open positions, we need to hire and we need to hire the best. So what do you what do you do for fun? You you play music. I mean, like what do you, what are you into? Uh, yeah, playing music. I used to uh, not anymore. I uh, I'm I'm big on the triathlon. I used to be a, a rugby player uh, for like twenty years. Uh, rugby was big in uh, in France, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm too old to play rugby. It, it's it's too painful now. So uh, I'm more into uh, uh, yeah triathlons and so the, the swimming, the running, the biking. Um, oh wow. Yeah. Dude, you're a badass. Rugby? That, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, that's a good contact sport. Yeah, and it's a good culture. Uh, you know, what I love about rugby is not just the contact uh, sports. But, I mean, I like that part. It allows you to, uh, to break some steam. Uh, but what I like about rugby is the humility uh, behind it. It's the culture that you have around that. It's, uh, you can be really hard at each other for uh, 80 minutes on the pitch. But after that, you get together, you have a beer, and, and then there's a big social part of rugby that I love. Nice. And then is there is there community in the triathlon area? Yeah, absolutely. There's a community, and uh, it's, it's a sport that you can see everywhere in the world. And uh, I must say that uh, um, triathlon in the, in the U.S. is also uh, very inclusive. You take people from from everywhere and whatever their their you know their shape or their uh, capabilities are, and uh, you see some huge transformation. Like people coming to triathlon because uh, they want to get back into sports, they are not in shape and so on, and you see them transforming themselves in a in a couple of years, and it's amazing. 
So I like I like that part very much. Yeah, I like the interactivity. Like a lot of the workouts I've been doing because the gym's closed are like uh, circuits, like calisthenic type circuits where I'm doing mm -hmm. like jumping jacks and sit-ups and things like that and like sets of, you know, and circuits. Um, and it, it just, it really keeps your attention when, when you structure a workout like that. And yeah. And you know, when you think about triathlons, depending on the distance you do, it's, it's, there's the physical uh, uh, abilities of people, but it's all in the head. You know, when you do a, a half Ironman or a, a full Ironman and, uh, you know, I, I look at people who do a full Ironman, it's like a, a, a two, two miles or 2.3 miles swim. Uh, like then they do a, a 180 kilometers of, of, of cycling uh, and, uh, and then a, a marathon, a full marathon. So I can tell you that at the end, it's, it's all in the head. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's quite amazing. You need to be focused. You need to be dedicated. Yeah. That's what I like about working out is, um, uh, it's difficult. Well, it, it doesn't get fun until it gets difficult. Like uh -huh. my favorite part of the workout is two thirds of the way through when you want to quit, because that's going to determine how good I feel for the rest of the day. Like if, if I, well, I don't, I don't really quit out. Like I just, I stopped because I was like, why would you only come this far to only come this far? Right. <laughs> but if you, if you've ever quit out two thirds of the way through a workout, you feel shame. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's the same in the business, right? If when you start building new products, you want them to go through and you might have bumps along the way, but you just have to hold on and, uh, and, and power through. Uh, so there are similarities in the, in the business, right? Amen. Yes. Preach. Amen. <laughs> That is awesome. Dude, way to bring it back. This is great. I'm going to let, we're going to wrap up on that note because that was really good. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you, Joel. And uh, be safe, you know, more, most importantly. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.